Welcome back. Monday, January 23rd, 2023. I hope you all had a good weekend. I'm not sure if this is all in the category of we need to shut this thing down until we can figure out what the heck is going on. But a few seemingly disparate things from the news over the past few days where dots are just not being connected and everyone seemingly thinks it's all just okay or normal. First, the New York Times in a big story yesterday headlined, quote, when students change gender identity and parents don't know, educators are facing wrenching new tensions over whether they should tell parents when students socially transition at school, close quote. Educators? That is, the people who are not the parents face wrenching new tensions over whether to tell the children's parents, i.e., their bosses and, well, again, the children's parents, if their kids are trying to transition against and below their parents' knowledge. The state, the government, is now the more important person or actor in the most physical and psychological and serious decision any child, much less young children, may face or be encouraged to face. The first child profiled in this New York Times story is 15 years old. And the parents, as the story relates, were caught unawares. And the school thought it should remain that way. 15 years old. Tell me how many decisions far less serious than changing your sex you would trust with a 15-year-old. We don't even let them get to pick their school board members or teachers, nor curriculum. They can't choose their textbooks, but they can choose their sex against their parents' will or knowledge. We've gone from en loco parentis to parens patriae, from the state being in temporary charge or in the place of the parents temporarily to fully becoming and, in fact, overruling the parents. Item number two, President Joe Biden is announcing a new chief of staff, Jeff Zients, Z-I-E-N-T-S. If that name sounds a little familiar, he was Joe Biden's COVID czar, chief COVID advisor. I don't know if this is anything about competence anymore or ideology at all. I'm old enough to remember when in 2020, Joe Biden, running for president in his final debate with Donald Trump, said, with COVID deaths at 220,000 Americans, quote, Biden saying, if you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America, close quote. Now, that was 2020 when the virus was novel in its first year and there was no vaccine. Since Joe Biden has been president, 730,000 Americans have died from or with COVID, an 82% increase from when he took office and a 231% increase from when he wanted you to hear nothing else from him about remaining president. And all that with a year and now two years experience, so the virus was no longer novel, and umpteen numbers of vaccines and boosters. So the man who got him there, Jeff Zients, will be the new chief of staff. You know how I sometimes choke on the notion that we are really just having to get used to the suck around here because we can't seem to do anything good or right or competent anymore? Or have them? Let's connect these dots and ask about any accountability whatsoever. 
makes one think, especially now, considering what Joe Biden said about Donald Trump being careless and irresponsible with classified documents, makes one think there's an increasingly number of things Joe Biden says that simply are not true. Indeed, they are just false. An increasingly number of important things he says that have no bearing on truth. Indeed, we should just call them what they are, lies. When will the Washington Post start the count as they did with Donald Trump on frivolous issues, as opposed to saying things like, oh, the two things I mentioned above on public health and life and death and classified intelligence, and I don't know, maybe a few other things, like the Afghanistan withdrawal was an extraordinary success, or the sanctions would cripple Russia, or the southern border is secure, or that inflation will be transitory. I keep mentioning I find it outrageous he would say nothing about an attempted assassination of a Supreme Court justice who didn't share his political point of view. But then again, I wonder if it would even matter as I don't know if we can trust one thing this president said or says. Of course, you know, after he said there was no there there about documents last week, the next day there were more in other theirs. Some people still believe his statement that if you get vaccinated, you won't get sick, go to the hospital or die. I'm reading a new biography of uh, Frederick, of, excuse me, I'm reading a new biography of Abraham Lincoln and was reminded of the motto of Frederick Douglass's newspaper. The newspaper was the North Star. It's a great motto. It's beautiful. Here it is. Quote, right, right, R-I-G-H-D, right is of no sex. Truth is of no color. God is the father of us all, and we are all brethren. Close quote. That was the motto of Frederick Douglass's newspaper. Right is of no sex. Truth is of no color. God is the father of us all, and we are all brethren. You, be- you can begin to appreciate where Martin Luther King Jr., as much as John Marshall Harlan, got their views that color should not dictate right or wrong or rights and privileges. I think the focus on race and the re-racializing of society is, frankly, a sickness. And so, tragically, when a terrible shooting took place this weekend, you saw the left jump all over this race thing, this thing that should never, much less hardly be a consideration, was the first consideration. And as usual, when you make considerations and judgments based on race, those considerations usually end up being wrong. Chuck Schumer and Adam Schiff were among the first to tweet about bigotry against Asian Americans upon the news of the shooting. Well, we now know the truth was that if there was bigotry here, it was from an Asian American. Can we simply be done with this? Be rid of this meddlesome and troublesome weaponization of race all the time? And by the way, if Schiff and Schumer were so concerned about the civil rights of Asian Americans. Where are they, and what have they said about the lawsuit currently in the United States Supreme Court against Harvard, which is both of their almas mater, by Asian Americans claiming discrimination because they are held to higher standards for admission than people of other races? If Schiff and Schumer have anything to say about that on behalf of the Asian American plaintiffs, I'll apologize. Almost every conservative has weighed in on the Asian Americans' behalves. I don't know of the liberal who has. You know why? Because to the liberal left, some races are more prioritized than others. 
You know what that's called? Racism. And have any on the left said anything about the scandal in Virginia public schools where Asian Americans were denied being told of their national honor status and academic achievement lest it offend other minorities? I'll apologize again, if so, but they haven't. Because to the liberal left, some races are more prioritized than others. And you know what that's called. Racism. I can appreciate where it comes from. Ignorance, incompetence, and ideology. The three I's. And on high. Yesterday, your vice president and mine, Kamala Harris, was giving a major speech on how wrong it was that Roe versus Wade was overturned on what yesterday would have been its anniversary. You can go to the audio or just go to whitehouse.gov for the transcript of her speech. Here's her line verbatim, quote, America is a promise. It is a promise of freedom and liberty, not for some, but for all. A promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Close quote. Is that what Joe Biden refers to as the thing? We are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness? Where does that line or promise come from? It's not hard. Only a week ago, we celebrated the man with the national holiday who told us it was all a promise, a promissory note in the Declaration of Independence. As Vice President Harris rightly identifies the document. But the phrase is not, we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness, as she quotes it. The phrase there is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and endowed to us by our creator. Life. She just took it right out, as she did creator. You can talk all you want about what our public policy should be based on our founding, but when you alter the words, deliberately edit out the words that are simply inconvenient, you will get it wrong or lie. There's a lot of that going on right now, it seems to me. Remember what the scientist whistleblower said in the opening of the series Chernobyl? He asks, what is the cost of lies? It's not that we'll mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that if we hear enough lies, then we no longer will be able to recognize the truth at all. I think it's all getting to be a pretty expensive price, don't you? I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960, Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You know, when the president listeth, There can be certain confidences that things will be okay because, you know, there's a very competent vice president and chief of staff, which is why I'm worried about the new chief of staff. And per Steve Hayward's uh, reminder and power line, worried yet again about the vice president. During the last stages of the midterm election campaign and during the holidays, he writes, it almost seemed as if Vice President Kamala Harris had disappeared into some kind of Democrat witness protection program. As if it finally dawned on Democrat 
party leaders that she's a total nitwit, best kept out of public view as much as possible. But she has emerged and reemerged and is back on the job, providing endless free entertainment. Here she is uh, just last week talking about climate change. In particular, in dealing with the various issues that are present when we look at the climate crisis, thinking about water policy, uh, diversifying water policy, understanding that we must have the ability to diversify our approach and our and the resources to everything from what we do in terms of uh, conservation to recycling, desalination, and storage of water. This plant and this facility in particular is doing some of the smartest and the most contemporary kind of work that is necessary to, to store water, understanding that the climate crisis presents exactly what we've experienced here in California. We're going to have days, and sometimes there will be days of immense water, of rain, of storms, of flooding. And at the same time, we are a state that has experienced for generations drought. And we must therefore understand that the issues that are present in the climate crisis are varied. And it requires us to be present and to be in front of each of the iterations and variations. That include extreme weather that produces a lot of water and extreme weather that produces drought. You got it? You got it? Requires us to be present and in front of each of the iterations and variations that include extreme weather that produces a lot of water. And drought. Um, she was helping um, preschoolers understand electricity uh, the day after. Today, America has more than half a million miles of transmission lines, enough to wrap around the globe 24 times. These lines connect the power plants where electricity is created to homes and businesses and schools and hospitals across our nation. Think about it, every time you turn on a light or charge your laptop or plug in your air conditioner or put leftovers in the fridge, you rely on the power delivered by our nation's network of transmission lines. Yeah, this is what happens when you plug something into the wall socket. And if you didn't believe me from the White House transcript on her re-editing the Declaration of Independence. A promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Well, not each, not each. And endowed by whom was left out. I can live with that, I suppose. But I just don't know how you get to liberty and pursuit of happiness by eliding and censoring out the word life. I don't know how you do it. And if you think about it beyond the text of the Declaration of Independence and the trick she was playing there and the censorship of the Declaration she was engaging in to make her political point, think about what liberty and the pursuit of happiness excuse me liberty and the pursuit of happiness means without the concept of or the importance of life think about what that means liberty and the pursuit of happiness 
unregulated by an appreciation for life, human, born or unborn? Just stick with born for a moment. How do you take life out of that equation and not have absolute, unrestrained, untrammeled anarchy? Liberty? What constrains liberty? Where does that stop and the pursuit of happiness? What constrains it and where does that stop if you don't also put in the appreciation for, let's say it, born human life or any life? How do you have any restraint whatsoever outside of sheer will and sheer libertinism if you don't think that there's a human life that should be involved in the constraining of your power to swing your fist or your axe or your knife. It's one thing to remove equality from the equation, and it's okay. It comes a little before that phraseology. But if you don't restrain or have some kind of stopgap or break on life and pursuit of happiness— you have no restraints or controls whatsoever, none, zero. There's nothing to stop any mere force or triumph of your individual will and willpower. It is the triumph of the will, and it is the will to power. You can get that. Those are two phrases that came from a country that did have that in two different centuries, the will to power and the triumph of the will. The latter, of course, was the title of a propaganda film in Nazi Germany, and the former was the title of Nietzsche's book that helped animate that very philosophy. I don't really know which eye is at worst discount in this country right now. I really don't. Is it ideology? I don't know. Is ideology the biggest problem right now? Or is it incompetence? Is incompetence the biggest problem right now? Ideology? Is it incompetence? Is it idiocy? Or is it their sheer will to power, unrestrained by anything we would consider nature or nurturing? I don't want to hear ever again that they're the party of the weak or the little guy. They are not. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski is the uh, host of his own radio show. It's heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. It's the Word on Wealth. And uh, during the day, he is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is that website. He brings us our culture and economy update. John, how are you this morning? Hope you had a good weekend. I did. Thank you so much. A little chilly, but not bad. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> a little, a little <laughs> Everybody's chilly. complaining. Yes. Yes. I was up in Prescott. It was a little cooler up there, too, and some snow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But there you expect it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's do. the difference. Mm -hmm. There True. you kind of know what you're getting. Here in the Valley of the Sun, eh. not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about a little bit of an interesting trend we're noticing. Stocks beginning to move higher yep. with Wall Street analysts saying they believe we might be in for a softer landing. 
uh, when it comes to inflation. I know nothing is, uh, of course, uh, guaranteed, but tell me what, what this is about. There's some new thinking going on. Well, what we're starting to see is some real um, positive news here with uh, some of the stocks that have been really beaten up, the NASDAQ, which is the tech stocks. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to see layoffs occur. We've Mm -hmm. talked about that over the past few weeks, which is, again, a sign, I guess, of what the Fed is looking for, right? They're looking for uh, higher unemployment numbers, which is going to lead into them believing the rate hikes that they've been pursuing up to this point have uh, now beginning to have an impact on on the economy and what's going on. So uh, we're starting to see it's interesting again, as I always say, bad news is good news sometimes, sometimes when it comes yeah. to the stock market. Right. Yeah. Um, so we're seeing these layoffs. And at the same time as we're seeing layoffs with companies, we're seeing their stock prices begin to go higher. Mm-hmm. And why would that happen? Well, I guess the thought is, is that uh, cutting expenses yeah. is ultimately going to lead to higher profits. And, yeah. and that's really what investors are looking for when they invest in any company sure. is higher profits and uh, higher stock prices. It's going to change probably some employment numbers next go-round, though, isn't it? I would imagine so. And I would imagine it so. it comes, you know, as uh, our friend Steve Moore, I think, was pointing out, mm-hmm. that uh, real wages are not really picking up with the inflation, not really keeping pace. The real the real True. wages are, are, are still, you know, far below where the inflation is. Yeah, I, I think uh, talking about a 4% rise in, yep. uh, in wages, yep. but we're seeing, of course, the 9% inflation, yep. which yep. has fallen right now to 65 but right. still not enough. Right, right, as we know. So, right. And it's always interesting. Um, food and energy, of course, are a whole nother issue, much higher yeah. uh, inflationary uh, pressure there. Um, and, and that's something that we all like need. 20%. You yeah. know, I think this war on energy is really going to be looked back on as a big mistake. I and, think. And I, I think. I haven't really looked that much into this, but of course, they were talking about uh, eliminating the use of gas yes, uh, cooktops, yes, yes, right? Yes. And, um, you know, they said, oh, that's not, you know, that's nothing really. But apparently there are now some cities that have uh, began to, you know, begin to implement big this. ones. Uh, yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe maybe almost 100. And I, yeah, it's always funny to me when they say, no, we're not really doing this. They only <laughs> said that after people were complaining that right. they announced they were thinking of doing. This. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Nothing to worry about here. But that is an issue as well. Yeah. And 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 it's an issue. Not just on gas stoves, which are their own thing and have, you know, their own, you know, people have their own preferences, et cetera. It's a worry about the way government thinks it can, you know, reach in and, and change the temperature of our showers. You yeah. Know? And, and it's, also it's a worry about the overreach. Restaurants. And uh, restaurants Seth, I mean, will be next. Yes, probably going to be the real interesting one. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if this applies to restaurants yet or if it's just. Uh, well, the cities, know, various houses. cities will be hitting them. Um, the Fed, the Fed plan was was just for homes. But, you know, a year ago, it wasn't just for homes. So, right. you know, unless right. it's unless people rise up and wake up and stop it, it will go forward. Yeah. And again, it's just going to add to uh, the electric bills eventually are going to start to increase. And so we're going to start. We'll certainly be feeling the pressure. Oh, you're going to see the rate increases here for e- sure. Exactly. For sure. Already there. And mm-hmm. they're already in the stovepipe, if I can use that phrase. That may be. Yeah. yeah. As long as you don't you know, have gas. <laughs> yeah. Not in the <laughs> gas okay. pipe. They're in the stovepipe. <laughs> uh, that's true. That actually is. 
is true. Right, Sean. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, this this is what happens when 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 we when we start going to war against energy. Uh, this is what happens when we start, you know, uh, thinking about okay, let's all go wind and solar, but you know, we're not there yet. Yeah. It's well, big wind yet. and big solar yeah. next, right? Yeah, That's where absolutely. they're going to be pushing pushing next too. We'll so pick up on that next. Time. Yeah, okay, I think brother. so. All right. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finra Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC, not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Talk to you and Thank you, John. You right. betcha. I am Seth Liebson, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 508 0960. On the one hand, I'm kind of glad to see certain foci on what's going on with children, particularly in the education realm, like the New York Times profile I was reading in my monologue at the beginning of the hour, reading from or mentioning. And Bill Maher's getting all this attention for again talking about how the Democrats need to fix the schools because they've made them this bad and this way. Um, I'm, I, I will tell you, I'm, a, I'm not one who very much off, very often quotes Bill Maher. I don't have a lot of patience for him. I, one, maybe once a year I do it. it maybe, maybe. But I, I think he's given way too much credit than what he deserves. I mean, all of us have been on this stuff for decades and welcome to the party is always a wonderful thing welcoming someone into the fold is always a wonderful thing but that's the problem there that's it's that nexus he how smart is a man who blames the left the left the left the left the left and then says but i will do everything to keep you from voting for a republican the answer is right there it's right there. It's an Aesop's fable of the easiest piece of fruit to pick off the tree. It's right there, and he thinks the root is bit. The fruit is bitter, after having just describing having ever after having just described an entire burnt down forest. The Democratic Party. So he goes after them, after them, after them, and then says, "But for God's sakes, don't vote Republican." I, how much wisdom is there in someone who keeps saying that? How much wisdom is there in in that person? I would say that's actually someone who's not very smart. Now, I know he happens to be clever, but I don't know how smart he is, and I think that's the problem. Heard him. What was it? Bill, help me out here. You remember an interview he did with Adam Carolla a while ago, last year maybe, and he does one show a week, right, and he does a a monologue that's 10 minutes long or something like that. And he says it takes him, what did he say? Hours a day. Hours for four days to write that 10-minute monologue. Okay, that's a tell. And he has a team of writers. So, okay, you know, it's good. It's smart. It's funny. It's entertaining. But should it take you 12 hours to get you that 10 minutes? I, I don't know. But the conclusions are wrong each and every time. If you see a fire, you don't turn away the water. If you see a flood, 
you don't prevent people from building a dam. And that's the business he's in. I was remarking to a friend the other day, focus on children here for a moment and what's going on with them. New new research comes out from the Wall Street Journal. It's really quite sickening, sad, that um, the headline, Juvenile Crime Surges, Reversing a Long Decline, Kids Killing Kids, Soared Across the Country Youth Violence Since 2020. Hmm. What happened that year? Two things. Total emotional disruption, total emotional and physical disruption and catastrophizing of children and putting the fear of pandemic in them and apologizing for and justifying violence on the other. Two toxic confluences that children got to watch in 2020. And yet it's risen. In the early 90s, we had this problem. John DeUlio famous criminologist at uh, Princeton at the time. He's now at the University of Pennsylvania. Princeton at the time, he raised the fear of a new generation of what he was calling super predators. Super predators. And, of course, that got shut down because people thought it had a racial connotation, which it didn't. It had the connotation of the word he used. Super predators, people being violent. He didn't mention race. They did. Maybe that's a tell. And I was just thinking, you know, you saw this story, the Fox News meteorologist, Adam Klotz. He was brutally attacked on a New York City subway this weekend on his way home um, from watching the uh, Eagles game, the Eagles uh, football game. And he saw a group of teenage boys harassing an older gentleman. They set the guy's hair on fire with a joint of marijuana, by the way, because marijuana makes you peaceful and docile, don't you know? And he, because there were no other men around to do something about it, he went up to them and tried to stop them. And they followed him out of his stop to another subway car and beat the living daylights out of him. You can see the pictures of the video of him. I got knocked out and now my side is black and blue. I can't bend my knee because I was getting kicked and punched. Three of the teen suspects were stopped by police, but they were released to their parents without facing any charges. What are they doing out at this hour? What are they doing out this hour? Using drugs and just trying to beat up on older people. I was remarking to a friend of mine the other day. I don't know if there's a connection here. We try and look for these kinds of things. But it's remarking, you know, in the late 60s and early 70s, there was a real push in an effort to make children's lives better, safer, more protected, wholesome, smarter. And it wasn't really political. Some of it even leaned a little bit liberal, liberal in those days. Think about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood started in 1968. The Children's Television Network uh, or workshop, Sesame Street, came in the following year, 1969. One of the biggest bestsellers of that year was Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. It was subtitled The Children's Crusade. 
couple years after that, you may remember the Free to Be You and Me, Marlo Thomas effort. Songs which were about male and female empowerment, mostly female, young females. Songs we've played you could not play today. Just like Aretha Franklin's Natural Born Woman cannot be played today. Do you know that? And then you got the following year something like Schoolhouse Rock. And then the Children's Defense Fund was established the year after that. The point is there was a tremendous cultural campaign and awareness and sensitivity about the importance of children's safe and educational upbringing, along with the importance of preserving and saving childhood. And I think we've stopped that. We seem to be much more interested today in using children rather than protecting them, in effect, stealing their childhood. And then we become shocked when they show these new strains and signs of distress, self-harm, suicide, violence, and rising addiction rates. It's not a mystery as to why it's happening. Just some thoughts I had flown around in my head I thought I'd share. All right, I'm Seth. We'll be right back. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that is not tied to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you do need your money back at any time. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed rate of return up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. YRefi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R E F Y.com, or give them a call at 888 YRefi34. That's 888 YRefi34. David is in Glendale. Hello, David. Hello, Seth. Good to talk to you again. Thank uh, you, sir. Yeah, and I'm driving home from my teaching job because I'm still teaching at this point. God bless you. And, uh, but when you're talking about it, it just made me stop and think. One of the things that I, I rail on it in the lunchroom and as others that will listen to me is we've legalized every interaction with every child and every adult in the school system. A child can no longer have any interaction with another child that they solve. In other words, you and I are out playing ball, and you run by. Well, we can't play ball with bats and clubs anymore either, but besides that, when I was a kid, I'm safe. You're out. I'm safe. We might roll in the dirt a little bit, and then it's all fixed, and we're moving on, playing the game. Nowadays, the cops are called. The parents are called. The kids no longer... On the unimportant stuff, on the important stuff, the parents aren't called, evidently, like if they want to change their sex. Oh, yeah, and gender. We were doing a blood drive in my church last year, or year before, rather, before the pandemic, actually three years. A 17-year-old can't give blood without parents' permission. Right, right. But they can get an abortion. Right, and they can change their sexual identity. Yeah, yeah. And the parents used to be, there's a cartoon that goes around, you know, shows the 1950s with an up on the kid's report card, and the parents are like, yeah, 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 with the kid. The 1990s is when I last saw it. The kid's got an F on his report card, and the parents are finger-wagging at the teacher. Yeah. Why has my kid got an F? Yeah. Well, because he did 
didn't redo it. We didn't do homework with him. Yeah. I'm not there to teach him everything yeah. about life. I'm there to teach, for me. I teach computers. I yeah. teach technology. Yeah. yeah. Do I blend a lot of life experience in that? I try like I can Yeah. Into, yeah. So there, there's no it's an odd thing we're doing to teachers, too. We should spend more time on it. I, so this was a short segment, and I have a guest, David, if you want to call back in about a half hour, I'm happy to. Because there is this weird thing where for years teachers said, I think rightly, in the most, in the most decisive senses, they were saying things like, you can't expect us to do everything that's supposed to be done at home. You can't expect us to be the kid's teacher and parent. And yet, on the other hand, there's this new generation, it seems like, and it is a younger generation of teacher that does want to be the parent, that does think that they are the parents, and that wants to conceal things and hide things from the parents. And yeah, we need to talk about parental responsibility, too. These things don't just happen. They don't just happen. If you would like to call back, or any teachers, I'd love to have you. I'm going to do an interesting uh, new guest uh, on What's going on in New York City that'll be instructive for us here, too? 